Let's go. You're listening to KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Yay area on 90.1 and across the world at KZSU.org. Welcome to Brands, Beats, and Bites, hosted by Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Brands, Beats, and Bites stands at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. We bring you interesting people and insightful points of view on what's popping and not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. D.C. and Larry are fascinated with the stories and people behind some of the best marketing in the business. No matter how dope your product, if your marketing sucks, your company may suck too. They both serve as managing partners at marketing consultancy Brand Positioning Doctors, where they help companies large and small, tech and non-tech, build better marketers so they can build great brands. What's happening, brand nerds? Sometimes we come to you and we talk about a first. Doesn't happen very often, but a few times, LT, we'll have a guest and that guest represents a first. This is definitely a first, LT. This is definitely a first. Keep going. Uh, You guys may have heard about us in our business. We talk about the power of threes in branding and marketing. And I've got three for you, Larry, to set up our next guest. The three words all begin with the letter C. So I got a little triple alliteration happening here. And the words are colleague, competitor, and comrade. (laughs) Colleague, competitor, and comrade. Let's start with colleague. Our next guest, Brand Nerds, began his brand management and marketing career at Quaker Oats. I almost began my career at Quaker Oats. Brand Nerds, you know I started at the Coca-Cola company, but I actually had a job offer from Quaker Oats, Gatorade. Gatorade owned Quaker Oats before Pepsi bought Quaker Oats. And by the way, Brand Nerds, look it up. Pepsi did not buy Quaker Oats for Quaker Oats, okay? They bought Quaker Oats for Gatorade. And so I wanted a job at Coca-Cola, so I leveraged the offer that I got from Quaker Oats on Gatorade in Chicago in order to get the job at Coke. That was one of the things. So that's, that we were nearly colleagues. He was there a little bit before me. We were nearly colleagues. Second is competitor. I don't know that I've had a direct competitor on this show that I've had a chance to talk to. This dude was head of marketing at Virgin Mobile. I was head of marketing at Boost Mobile. And we were there during the same years. So (laughs) we were both ushering in this thing called no contract, all right? Which was not prevalent at the time in in the US, in North America. This dude knows that. So we we were together ushering in a whole new form of payment inside of uh, the wireless space. And we had both of our brands were targeting young people. There were no other brands doing that in the wireless space at the time. There were no other brands doing no contract. You, I mean, no, no, uh, no major brands. We actually had like Metro PCS and that kind of thing. But like brands designed to do just that. He and I competed. And by the way, he had a person that I mentored before on his team, a dude named Lamont Swittenberg, okay, <laughs> Lamont Swittenberg. So I used to mentor Lamont at Coca-Cola, all right? And that dude was on Howard's team. He was on Howard's team. And by the way, Larry, Lamont Swittenberg is a Tar Heel. He went to oh, grad wow. school at UNC. We got all kinds so there's of a connection to you. Yeah, and then my final uh, C is Comrade. He's a homeboy, Larry. Brand yep. nerds, we got a homeboy here. He's a Michigander. I'm from Detroit. And by the way, brand nerds, as we were starting 
and we mentioned like uh, uh, Larry mentioned that, hey, you know, he's from, uh, I'm from Detroit. Uh, uh, Howard, I'll give it his name up now. Howard is his name. I'll say Howard. I'm going to say his name, Howard. You'll, you'll come later and, and give more about him. He asked me, okay, like where, where, <laughs> where you been, Michigan? And I gave him streets and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> really out there. So brand nerds, I can, all, I can tell you guaranteed you want to sit down Get on, get on a soul cycle, do something, and listen to this podcast, Ms. LT. We got a good one coming. Please, my brother, do the honors. Oh, yes, DC. We have Howard Handler in the house today. Welcome, Howard. Thank you. All right. So, DC. So, Howard, as you know, is the second recommended guest by my great friend and Howard's friend, too, Mr. Joel Kate. So, shout out to Joel. So, our shout first recommended guest Joel had for us was Alan Bros, and he was dynamite. So the pressure is on, Howard, <laughs> right, D? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> okay, so D, we already, as you mentioned, we, we're always greatly impressed by the caliber of our guest, Howard, and Howard really takes it to another level. Uh, additionally, D, as you just so well stated your Michigan connection, let's get to Howard's great background. So Howard's a two-degree guy from that school up north, as the folks at Ohio State say, the University of Michigan with undergrad in economics and history, and an MBA in marketing. So brand nerds, just like DC and myself and super producer Jeff Shirley, as DC already alluded to, Howard starts his career in brand management at Quaker Oats, working on brands such as Life Cereal, Quaker Oatmeal Squares, and Quaker Chewy Granola Bars. So Howard then takes a very interesting turn directly into the entertainment arena, which really helped shape his career going forward, where he becomes the VP of marketing for Broadway Video heading marketing for Lorne Michaels Diversified Entertainment Company. So for those who don't know, Lorne Michaels is really the force behind Saturday Night Live from the beginning and except for a couple of years off, right, Howard? He really threw till now and going forward. And also everything it spawns, such as Wayne's World. So all right, D, ready for this move? Howard goes to MTV, where he is the SVP of marketing. So okay, millennial brand nerds are younger. It's going to be hard for you to fathom this, but in the 1990s, MTV was one of the most important youth brands in the world. And Howard is a key force behind this, as evidenced by Howard being named as one of America's top 100 marketers by ad age. So Howard, by the way, MTV has been on our minds a lot lately since we have used your time there as a successful case study for really emotionally connecting brands with youth. So another verification. Hey, hey, hey Larry, hey, yeah. Larry, sorry to We should we should send Howard a check for that. Okay, we should yeah. send him a check. <laughs> yeah, we should. So another verification point of this is the NFL sees what Howard was up to at MTV, really emotionally connecting brand with young people, and they recruit Howard to be the NFL's first ever head of marketing. So D, check this out. Well, just as you said, you're doing your thing at Boost Mobile. Howard makes his way over then to Virgin Wireless as CMO, and all he does in his years there is help drive the business from startup phase to 5 million subscribers, 1.2 billion in revenue, positive EBITDA and net income, and an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. After this- Oh, Larry, can I just say something else? Okay, yes, so please do. Nerds, I, I need you to understand something here about this, this, this Howard dude. To do that at that time, at any time, it's hard to go from an early stage startup to first, getting over a billion dollars. So this is before unicorns was a thing to make it a unicorn, a billion dollars in revenue. He got to a billion and a half. Uh, that's number one. 
two to get to that millions of subscribers, five, because there's this thing in the wireless category, which Howard knows well, called churn, that's always kind of biting at your ability to keep subscribers. And then finally, to have positive EBITDA in that short period of time, like if if uh, if this had been um, a, a different time, uh, it would not have surprised me, and maybe Virgin Mobile was, that it was one of the meteoric IPOs in history. But there, there's yeah. a little bit of a timing thing there, but uh, just really hard to do that, Brandner. So you're talking to someone here on that alone who understands how to build a brand and a business. Okay, Larry. So yeah, so with that set up, Howard's doing a lot more, D. So after this great success, he moves over to EMI Music as EVP of Marketing, which really sets up Howard well for his current gig, which we will get into in a minute. So after EMI, Howard moves over to MSG, Madison Square Garden, as EVP of Marketing and Sales. And Howard, we won't ask you to tell any James Dolan stories unless you really want to. <laughs> but then he moves over to MLS, Major League Soccer, as CMO, where he really helps grow the brand and league through key metrics growth, most notably TV ratings and league enterprise value. After doing some really cool consulting gigs, such as helping build the, the plan for the relaunch of the XFL, Howard goes back to Michigan, where he becomes president of 313 Presents. And for those not in the know, that is the area code for Detroit, Detroit's premier live entertainment company. And he oversees all booking, production, revenue generation, marketing, and strategic growth at their six venues Little Caesars Arena, Comerica Park, the Fox Theater, Pine Knob Music Theater, Meadowbrook Amphitheater, and Michigan Lottery Amphitheater at Freedom Hill. Lastly, Howard also sits on the board of directors at Professional Association of Diving Instructors, the world's leading scuba diving training organization, and is an advisory board member for the Drone Racing League. And summation brand nerds, we have ourselves a true marketing innovator who is always at least one step ahead. Most importantly, it comes back to performance and his results throughout his career tell us he's a genuine marketing rock star. You will enjoy this one. Welcome to Brands, Beats and Bites, Howard Handler. Thank you. It's great to be here, man. So good to have Those you. Those are your flowers, Howard. Those are your, Larry just gives the flowers, all of it you did. A couple of more connections, <laughs> Larry and Howard, as you were going through this introduction. Madison Square Garden. Uh, how have you ever heard of a dude named Michael Guth? <laughs> of course. Love I was thinking that too. Love Guth. Guth. All right. Michael also, uh, Michael worked at Coca-Cola. And right? Michael and I worked on Sprite together. And so when the repositioning of Sprite happened, he was one of the central figures there. And uh, by the way, guys, uh, 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 Michael Guth used to also do work at uh, Madison Square Garden. Now, normally, Howard, we go to our next segment, which is Get Comfy, which we are going to get to eventually. But I got to tell a story about Quick Roads. I, I got to tell a story here. And I, I never tell a story before we go to Get Comfy. But I got to do this, Larry. Please. So what happens, uh, Brand Nerds, for those of you that have um, MBAs, you know this routine. For those of you who don't, you may not know this routine. But when you're working on an MBA and you're in a, in, in a, uh, in a business school, companies come to the campus to recruit the students. And so you can either get an internship or permanent uh, opportunity. When you get a permanent opportunity, uh, what they want to now do is woo you. It's a bit like athletes being recruited to a, a college program. And when they woo you, Larry's shaking his head, Howard's shaking his head, 
uh, uh, brand nerds. When they woo you, they fly you to town. They put you up in a great uh, hotel. They send you out with real estate agents. They they set up dinners. And uh, I remember when I was in Chicago, they took us to uh, Second City, I think was the name of it, like a comedy deal. Uh, it, it, it was very nice thing. So one of the activities, Howard, uh, with the Quaker Oats team was at a, uh, at a place where there were pool tables. Well, now, Howard, uh, my, my father, uh, rest in power, was a hustler, and he used to hustle pool. So <laughs> when I was a little kid, he would take me around to play pool. And so I, it, 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 it wouldn't be quite like Rain Man, but, but you know, he would kind of bring me on, and I'd do my thing. Now, I hadn't played pool in a very long time, Howard and LT, but I'm like, hey, they're playing pool, so I'm going to play pool. So I get on the table and at quick roads, as I said, Gatorade, they were like the uh like the 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 the, the royal the royalty of quick roads. Yep. And they strutted around like they were royalty. So I'm playing against a dude who is on Gatorade. I don't remember this dude's name, Howard. Howard, I was kicking his behind. Okay. <laughs> and this dude was getting hot. Okay. He was getting hot. So now I'm already kicking his behind. And he's about he 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 sets he sets the table he makes a shot and I don't have a shot, so I make what my father taught me was a defensive shot. So I I can't make one of my balls. So I knew the next ball he wanted to get. So I positioned the cue ball in front of his ball so he can't make his shot. All right, this dude this dude flew off the handle. <laughs> in the pool hall and he wouldn't play anymore he, he like slammed the stick down and all that and i thought to myself howard i don't know what the culture was like over there but i was like i'm not certain that i need to go to quick roads dude's a little hot under the collar so anyway that's a quick quick story there all right howard uh get comfy section you and i are both from michigan uh you have spent time in detroit as a young man Sometimes our city is misportrayed, Howard, I believe. Our city is mis misportrayed, and it has been for decades. Uh, Howard, I don't know whether you ever had the opportunity as a little kid to go to Hudson's during the holidays. Absolutely. Hudson's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so it, was, it was fabulous, Brand Nerds, uh, uh, Hudson's during the You go see Santa. They had a little shopping area for the kids. And what you all may know today as the Macy's Day Thanksgiving uh, Parade, what Howard and I grew up with was the Hudson's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So, uh, but you don't know that, Brand Nerds, because there have been very different stories coming out about Detroit for the last two decades. As a person who loves Detroit and loves Michigan, Howard, can you talk about uh, uh, what Detroit is like from your view? And if you could also speak to Detroit as a brand then, Detroit as a brand sort of 10, 15 years ago, and Detroit as a brand now? Well, I grew up in, in Detroit uh, at, at a time of, of great pride, but great upheaval and change. Um, we lived through the uprising of, of 1967, um, yeah. shook the whole city up. Uh, but we also lived through the Tigers winning the World Series, through the creation of the Renaissance Center, and many 
many attempts and a lot of hard work at at bringing Detroit back up. Um, I'm lucky enough today to work for an enterprise that's owned by the Illich family and wow. Tom Gores and Platinum Equity. Mike Illich, the founder of Little Caesars Pizza and the man that bought the Red Wings and the Tigers in 1986, purchased the Fox Theater, one of the most iconic and beloved proscenium theaters in the whole world. Um, a stage that had Elvis Presley, that had Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder, uh, you know, all the way to some of the greats of today. And at the time, nobody wanted to go around that neighborhood or do anything. And because of the vision of Mike Illich and buying the Fox and putting millions of dollars into it to renovate it, as we sit here today, it's the middle of a thriving area and an area that continues to grow. The Fox Theater led to Ford Field, Comerica Park, Little Caesars Arena, a world headquarters for Little Caesars Pizza. Um, and it just kind of goes on and on. So to me, Detroit is a city of design and creativity. It's the city that gave us Motown, house music, the automobile, so many beloved personalities. And it's a city that is full of underdogs and people that are trying to continue to bring this city back to the heights that, that it experienced in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, it's the city of the Great Migration. Um, at the end of the day, it's a city of soul. And I think that anybody that, that, that comes to Detroit today is usually pretty inspired and turned on by thriving industry, companies choosing to be here. Um, and I think the greatest sports and entertainment fans in the world. How about that? I love I love that Howard. You can you uh, illuminated our audience with that. Um, and I just have one quick anecdote. Um, when I was working on Martel Cognac, and uh, we sponsored Al Jarreau's tour, and we got to go to the Fox Theater. Mm -hmm. And I I'm being, I'm from New York, and then you know I didn't understand the history until I went backstage and saw all the signatures of all the people. <laughs> right? It, it, yeah. You don't people don't know this if you haven't been backstage there, and it was mind blowing because wow. Um, and there's something really special about that place. So I'm really glad that you, uh, you, you shared that with our audience. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Howard, for talking about our city in, uh, in that way. And I remember something that was said about Detroit, uh, Howard and LT. This is many, many years ago when we were Howard in our, in our doldrums in terms of uh, economic viability. And what they said is uh, when you look at a city in terms of investment, you look at the things that are structural. So one, you can get to just about anywhere in the United States with a major city, with the exception of uh, California, in two and a half hours or less from mm. Detroit. Detroit is also a hub for travel, air travel into Asia. So that's mm. another thing. Uh, and then they said, uh, they said, 
it's a it's it's on the water. So Detroit is on a body of water. And then finally, it's across the bridge from another country, Canada. So when they were explaining this to me, they said Detroit will come back because it has those structural things that will make certain that investment comes to Detroit and that uh, it, it will come back. So it is an honor, Howard, to be on this podcast with uh, with you, a fellow homeboy. Thank you very much for joining us. Right on, man. Detroit's in the house. I love it. Detroit yep. is already back, uh, but I know we'll talk about that. We will. All right, uh, Howard, uh, we have our uh, we have our sponsor of the show, which Larry will uh, will do a, uh, a reading of. So, uh, Larry, if you would do the honors. Yes, sir. Uh, hey, Brand Nerds, back here to talk to you about specificity. And Brand Nerds, we know many of you are immersed in digital marketing or may soon be involved in it. So either way, if you want to optimize your digital marketing to maximize results, we have the solution for you. Uh, last, last uh, it's now a year and a half ago, in uh, late 2021, an interesting thing happened that forever changed the landscape of digital marketing. Apple's iOS update was structured to provide users the opportunity to opt out of ads and more than 90% of users opted out. So Android quickly followed suit with similar opt-out numbers. This situation created complete upheaval for the entire digital marketing infrastructure with engagement rates falling precipitously. So now you know why you may be a big NFL fan with zero interest in soccer and you're playing your favorite game app on your phone and all of a sudden you're being hit with an ad for the local MLS team. That's serious money down the drain. So here's where specificity comes in to save the day. Specificity does not track or know users' personal data, such as name, social security number, et cetera. Specificity uses device ID numbers similar to a VIN number on a car, so they track what users are doing without knowing their personally identifiable information, working in harmony with the post-privacy update. So now with specificity, both the consumer and the advertiser are happy since consumers see digital ads that are relevant for them and advertisers serve ads to people that are actually receptive to the message. So let's give a real life example. If our friends at Beyond Meat wanted to use specificity, they can serve ads to consumers who are vegans, vegetarians, and or those who may be interested in a meat alternative without wasting any of their precious ad spend on the significant group that are carnivores without any interest in trying a meat alternative, such as my wife, Sherry, who's a very happy carnivore. This would enable Beyond Meat to be incredibly efficient in serving their message only to those who would be receptive and doing it in a way that completely respects said consumer's privacy since they do not know or learn any personal identifiable information about these people. The bottom line is in 2023, we believe no one else out there can deliver better digital marketing results than specificity. We have introduced specificity to many clients and everyone is super happy since each client has been more successful with their digital marketing efforts than they were before. For more information on specificity, please visit their website at specificityinc.com. Again, specificityinc.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-C-I-F-I-C-I-T-Y-I-N-C.com. Their website's also in our show notes. If you want to improve your digital marketing results, go check them out. Thank you, LT. All right, Brand Nerds, uh, we are moving to our next segment, which you all know is five questions. So, Howard, this is how this goes down. Larry and I ask questions back and forth until we arrive at five. I get to the plate first in order to take a swing like our beloved Detroit Tiggers. <laughs> Detroit Tiggers. Hit that Howard. ball, Willie Horton. Hit that ball, <laughs> Willie Horton. Hit that ball, Alan Trammell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Howard, given your extensive experience in, in marketing and branding, uh, we want to take you back, perhaps before you started your, your career, but you get to decide of the first brand experience you had, Howard, that just really touched your soul. You talked about Detroit being a city of soul, and I 100% uh, concur. What was that first brand experience for you, Howard, that uh, that lit you afire, almost like a first love? Mm, that's a great question. Um, as, a, as a child of the 60s and 70s, I proudly grew up in front of the television. <laughs> and I, I always I always liked taglines and jingles. And, you know, I could I could play you back Oscar Meyer and Alka Seltzer. And <laughs> it, yeah. it was just th those were like earworms and and things that yep. that for me were part of a fascination with pop culture that that really continues to this day. Um, so it was kind of there, but the first thing that really kind of hit me a little bit like a thunderbolt as I was starting to think about what was really interesting to me and what I might want to do for a living and stuff like that was the Pepsi challenge. Wow. Yeah, yeah the, the Pepsi, Pepsi challenge, man, for, you know, for those of you who, who don't know what that was, um, or don't remember, you know, Pepsi still to this day is a fighter brand and a challenger yep. brand. Um, and, and Coke, you know, Coke, one of the, the most well-run and well-defined brands really ever. But, you know, it's, it's probably always a little bit more fun to be an underdog. And they did this blind taste test. Yep. And... Pepsi has a little bit of a sweeter taste profile. So they stripped away everything that related to the branding to get the results of people choosing Pepsi. But it was ultimately the brand message, which is this is the choice of youth and the better brand and all the rest of it. And it led me to read a book by Roger Enrico, who was really the architect yeah. of all of this. And it was called yep. The Other Guy Blinked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the essence of The Other Guy Blinked was, is it led Coke to do some really dumb stuff <laughs> with their brand that they would ultimately reverse? But it was also a really fascinating book because it told the story of Pepsi's foray into the entertainment business mm -hmm. and working with the great Ray Charles and Michael Jackson Ooh. and using entertainment as a way to power their brand. So um, that, that's a little bit of like kind of my, my first love, my first influence. Oh, Howard, this is so juicy for us. You know, uh, we're both uh, Coca-Cola alums and DC and I happened to be at Coke, not when, when uh, the Pepsi challenge was going on, but at the 10 year anniversary of new Coke. And Dee, do you remember uh, us do you remember uh, the rest in power, the great Roberto uh, uh, Guizueta having a, he had for the all of Coca-Cola on the 10 year anniversary of new Coke Howard, they had an assembly and we were 
talk to about what we learned organizationally from everything that happened with New Coke. And not only, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Coke did it on purpose. Nah, as, as Don Keo said, who was the president, we weren't that dumb and we weren't that smart. Um, but what was really funny, what was really interesting about it is what, what we learned organizationally, it's all about brand. You alluded to, Howard, the product was what they did with Pepsi Challenge. It was all product features. It was sweeter. It was all product-based. And what, what, what the Coca-Cola company realized, and it was imbued into all of us on brand, is that it's all about the brand. It's what we call in our practice, Howard, the laddering up, the more emotional aspects of a brand that you want to connect brand with consumer on. And um, Dee, I don't know if you remember the story that um, Mr. Goizueta talked about that he started answering phones during the new Coke debacle. And the first call he answered was from an 80 year old woman who was calling the hotline complaining. And he asked her, she went on my, you know, my first date with my husband and all this stuff for two minutes. And he said, well, when's the last time you had a Coca-Cola? And she said, oh, at least 40 years ago. And, <laughs> and, and what impressed him about it was that here's somebody who hadn't had the product in so long, but that's how emotionally connected she was to our brand. And how did we F that up? That's what he got out of that. So mm. I, I thought you all would find that interesting. Dee, do you want to please add anything that I missed there? Yeah, uh, Howard's coming in hot with this one. Yeah, <laughs> He's coming in hot. So brand nerds, uh, highly encourage you all to go check out, do your research on the Pepsi Challenge, as well as the book by uh, Roger Enrico, um, the other guy, Blink. And uh, uh, Jade and Haley and Jeff, let's put links to both the challenge yep. as well as this book in the, uh, in the show notes. But let me come back to what happened here. Howard, you talked about the taste difference. So we'll, we'll, we'll circle to the challenger brand of it all in a moment, but, but the, uh, the, the taste difference. So brand nerds, there was a bit of sleight of hand that happened here. Yeah. What happens with, with, with the human species is if we taste two different things and one is sweeter, we're going to say it's better. And the way to separate the sweetness is to have the taste happen at ambient temperature, which yep. means room temperature. So when the Pepsi challenge was done, it was not done with Coke on ice or cold Coke or Pepsi on ice or cold Pepsi. It was done at room temperature. So they were guaranteeing because they have a sweeter product profile with Pepsi that they were gonna win. So they knew this already. So they, they, they knew this going in. Now they presented it to folks like Howard and me and Larry and others like, oh wow, look at what we've discovered. No, right. they, knew this, they knew this was gonna go down. So that's what happened uh, from a product perspective. But then to Larry's point uh, is that, it, and also Howard's point about wrapping entertainment around it, yep. they started with a product base uh, feature, which was sweetness, and they evolved it into more of a pop culture thing. It's okay to start at the bottom rung of a ladder with a product feature, but then you must go up. Now, second thing, Larry, when uh, you told that story about uh, Big Papa, uh, Howard, we used to call Roberto Gosueta Big Papa. So yeah. that's what we that's how we refer to. So we call it the original Big Papa. So Affectionately, Big Papa. by the way, Affectionately, very affectionate. Rest, rest in, rest in power. Uh, we used to track this thing, Howard, called virtual consumption, and there was always Howard a delta between actual consumption and virtual consumption. 
And we were hell bent on closing that because there were always more people who thought they were consuming than actually were consuming. And that was a term that we hadn't heard of in business school, virtual consumption. So great example of, uh, of branding. That's, 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 a dope, uh, that's a dope answer. <clears throat> Let's, right. Dee, we go to the next question? Get it, brother. So Howard, who is Hatter is having the most influence on your career? Well, I would say that the foundation comes back to my dad. I mean, integrity and work ethic. Um, I, I have uh, an uncle who was very influential and a giant to me early in my life, a guy named Lou Handler, who was a boxer and a referee. He refereed, it's actually, the, it's the picture above me. He was the referee for the Jake LaMotta uh, middleweight championship bout. He refereed Joe Lewis's first professional fight. Wow. And he founded a summer camp in Algonquin Park, Ontario, that still exists to this day, Camp Tamaqua. Wow. He was a real Renaissance man and, and a dreamer. First guy in my, in my family to go to college. Um, he inspired me. But I, I think in the world of, of brand and marketing, um, I mean, I certainly learned a lot from Lauren Michaels and Richard Branson, real privilege to work with some, some great people. Um, but the person who probably most influenced me and continues to influence me is a guy named Michael Budman. Um, mm. Michael is originally a Detroiter, um, but he moved to Canada after Michigan State University and founded a company in 1973 called Roots. And Roots oh, yeah. is a tremendous lifestyle brand yep. that pops up just about everywhere. And through Michael, I, I felt like I really learned the relationship between brand and storytelling. Mm. Because every single hit that Roots ever had and continues to have was related to some super cool experience. David Bowie wearing a Roots sweatshirt, Michael Jordan, you know, wearing Roots, um, the Olympics and all the relationship that Roots had with the Olympics and what that meant for them. And there was always a direct relationship between the hits and their sales and their expansion. And Michael and his, his co-founding partner and best friend, Don Green, also a Detroiter and a Michigan State guy, um, they built it from the ground up. Um, they're actually celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, wow. um, which, is, which is quite extraordinary. And I've been lucky to have a personal relationship with Michael over many years. And, and so he's a real giant for me in terms of what it means to build a brand. Wow. Lots to unpack there, D. Uh, you know, what, what I find really interesting, Howard, is, so one, you got to give a shout out to your dad. What's your dad's name? Wallace Handler. Okay. So shout out to your dad. Um, second is, uh, have you, when did you meet Michael? When did you encounter, or when did you start a relationship with Michael? 
So Michael went to Camp Tamaqua, fell in love with the camp. Um, there was a movie that was made um, in the 80s called Indian Summer. I know it. Uh, it had Sam Raimi and and it was it was written by Michael Binder. And there's a composite of Michael and Don in that movie. But I reconnected with Michael in the late 80s when my uncle Lou was inducted into the Michigan Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, and that was super cool. But the real connection, this is a kind of a funny small world thing, is when I had the opportunity to go to work for Lauren Michaels in 1990, no sooner did I show up that I learned that Michael and Lauren were great friends. Ah. And that Michael was a guy that was always ah. around the show and, and you know, liked to, to supply roots to the cast and, the, and you know, the host of the show. Um, and this was around the time that, that uh, my wife, Wendy, and I started to have kids. And Michael encouraged me to come back to Algonquin Park to reconnect with Camp Tamaqua. And so it was really, it was really through all of those different circumstances. So I'd say, you know, from the, you know, early nineties onward, um, we've been friends and he's been a great mentor to me. That's awesome. Dee, anything to add? You wanna to go to the next question? I have warm, fond memories of the Roots brand. Uh, when you grow up in and around uh, Detroit, you uh, you cannot miss the root the Roots brand. You you people have rocked the Roots brand from fifty years ago in uh, in in and around Detroit. I did not know Howard that Michael was a Detroiter and a Spartan. I had no idea, but it it makes sense to me now that he is both a Detroiter and a Spartan because of how prominent the uh, the Roots brand was. So let, let me give you an example, Larry. So imagine so today, uh, not quite the same, but I, I think Howard may at least allow me some liberty to say in the same neighborhood. So in culture today, many labels are worn, like proudly, uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, Christian Dior, uh, Kenzo, a Prada. So these are all mostly European brands. Yep. But before those brands really popped, and these are great brands, there were these more organic brands that were beginning to come up. And Roots was one of them. Roots yep. was one of them. It's a great and, name, um, by the way. I love the Roots, name. Oh, it, it, is a, it is a fantastic name. I even wonder, I don't think this is the case. Maybe Howard would know this. But I wonder if the, the band, which I love, with Questlove, The Roots, yeah. Were they influenced at all by the brand Roots? I don't know that, maybe not, but uh, but anyway, it, it is a great name. And and what I remember specifically about that brand, it was the first time that I saw sweatshirts because it wasn't as it, it, hoodies came later, but mostly sweatshirts. And Larry Roots would be in leather, so the Roots right. brand would be in leather. Yeah, so I remember those. Really, yeah, really yeah. high quality. Yeah. So I, I have very fond memories of uh, of Roots. Very fond memory of Roots. That's a that's a great connection. 
All right, Larry, uh, anything more from you, brother, before I go nope. to the next question? All right, Howard. Something tells me you got a good one for this question, brother. <laughs> I, I just have an inkling here. Uh, many different uh, iterations of your career. Uh, you've done uh, a, a diversity of things, although there is a through line that I'm noticing. I'll come, I'll come to that at the end. Uh, uh, but you're not where you are unless you've had many, many voluminous successes. Howard, I don't want to know about any of those, not a single one of those in this question. I want to know your biggest F up. I'm talking about the big, juicy, wet, ah, this is a big F up, and what you learned from it. That's the key. Absolutely, man. Well, you know, show me a man that's fallen down on his face and gotten right back up and kept going. That's that's the kind of man, that's the kind of woman I want to work with. Yep. Um, and I am a, an example of somebody who's gotten hit and fallen down many a time. Um, <laughs> so I, I love the question. Um, I think that the biggest flub um, was something called White Stripes Live and In Flight. Um <clears throat> I got to Virgin Mobile in the early 2000s, and I, I was like a kid in a candy store because the Virgin brand for me was always one of my favorites. Um, I followed some of Richard's exploits as an adventurer. Um, I loved the, the mega stores, uh, and for me, I've had a lot of dreams come true in terms of the brands that I've been able to manage and build. Um, but being able to get in on the ground floor of this new thing called Virgin Mobile oh, yeah. was incredible. And part of it, beyond building an actual telecommunications company and putting a dent in the culture and all that good stuff, um, was really being able to get to know Richard and all of these other Virgin companies. Now, one of the terms that always got thrown around about Virgin was it was kind of branded venture capital because mm. to look mm. from the outside in, it wasn't as if Richard owned and controlled all of these companies. Mm. Yeah. The actual through line was the Virgin brand. Right, And in yeah. some cases, yeah. he had a large ownership stake. In other cases, it was a license. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of Virgin Mobile, it was a gigantic bet. Um, mm -hmm. Richard sold a beloved property, a hotel um, called La Residencia, um, and invested $200 million. And Sprint invested $200 million with this vision to create a new wireless company that was really about young people and no contracts. And, you know, that's all interesting stuff in terms of what we built. Um, but as a marketer, I came on board and felt like, wow, I could harness the power of all these virgin companies. One of the first companies that I met was V2 Records. V2 Records was a successor for Richard to Virgin um, Records that he had to sell 
in order to save Virgin Atlantic, the airline. Okay. V2 Records had this band called the White Stripes that was starting to blow up and, and was about to release an album called Elephant, which was a pretty big record. <laughs> um, and I made friends with the guys from Virgin Atlantic and the mega stores were actually selling Virgin mobile phones, right? So we came up with this idea together, this gigantic stunt where we would put the white stripes on a flight to nowhere. And ah. this is pre-September 11th. Okay. Right. This yeah, yeah. Okay. was a time, well, actually just post-September 11th, but for whatever reason, we're able to convince the FAA to let us take one of the big Virgin Atlantic planes at JFK and just fly it in a circle for two and a half hours before it had to come back and fly back to London. Yeah, okay. The white stripes were gonna perform on that plane and you would gain entry to that plane by using your Virgin mobile phone, right? Ah, Sounds really okay. cool. Sounds really okay. cool. Okay, Howard, this is sound good but i hear a conjunction on the way it's gonna turn into an ugly fiasco i promise <laughs> no so jack white very creative guy and ironically enough i live in midtown detroit i live right above third man records which is a retail store in the front but it's an actual record pressing plant in the back and he got way way ahead of that very, very creative guy. He wanted to work on the ads for White Stripes Live and In Flight. And he wanted to work with like Wes Anderson or it was right. it was incredible the kind of bar that he was setting creatively. And MTV was our partner. We had all the point of sale in the Virgin Mega Stores and Best Buy and Target and everybody that was selling our, our product. We had the ads that were up on MTV. And then we got the call that Jack didn't want to do the promotion anymore. Uh-oh. <laughs> How's that? Uh -oh. Yeah. Uh -oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've got, so Howard, so, so, so you've got everything going. You've got all these arms and legs, a lot, to, a lot going point of sale, all these things. And then when, how, when did this plug get pulled? Okay. So as marketers in a lot of case, you know, like when I was the head of marketing at the NFL, by the time I got to the Super Bowl, it was all done. Right. And so, so it's like all fun and games. So for me, it's like the point of sales going, the ads are running. Jack Black was going to be the master of ceremonies for Jack White, Jack and Meg. Oh, yeah. We had the whole thing wired. Um, and the idea of like seeing, you know, the white stripes in their two-piece, you know, kind of days on an airplane was just making all of us sure. freak out. We're so excited. So because it was all in place, I decided to go down to New Orleans and hang out at Jazz Fest for the weekend. It was sitting in the middle of a set, early days for John Mayer. Um, oh, yeah. And my phone starts ringing. 
And uh, you know how you kind of walk away yeah. so that the sound dissipates. And I'm going, what? He he doesn't, you know, and I found out he didn't want to do it. And long story how, how, short. How far is this away from when yeah, it's How far is this when it's supposed to go far. down? Well, the ads are on the air. Um, you know, the the contest had had commenced, the entries yeah. were happening. Um yeah. I mean, we were probably six weeks away from, okay. you know, the whole thing going down. You're, you're committed. You're committed. Oh, my God. The so, marketing is in flight, even though the the, the promotion's not in flight. <laughs> no, and, and, you know, and it's funny because I still, I still have a copy of the ad on a VHS tape. It's crazy. But what happened was, is we're like, well, he can't do that. And Richard was on a relief mission to Iraq um, because the war was going on. Oh. Um, and he tried every single trick and and every single ploy to try to get Jack to rethink. Um, you know, there were threats, you name it, didn't work. And so wow. honestly, after licking our wounds and and me kind of trying to tuck away the prospect that I was, well, I was convinced that I was definitely going to get fired. Right. Um, because <laughs> this was my mess. This, well, this was my thing, man. Well, it's and like, how many millions of dollars were you in tote, right? I mean, there's a lot of money, I'm sure, at stake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But see, but that's, but that's the trick, right? Um, uh, you know, the, the trick in many cases is earned media and owned media are far more powerful than paid media. Yeah, so no question. We, we, you know, yeah, we had a schedule on MTV, but we also had a partnership with those guys. So uh, it wasn't about the money. It was about the brand exposure. damage. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. But, but here's, here's the good part, right? After we all kind of fessed up and said, he ain't doing this. Um, and, you know, and it's actually, and I won't go too far down the rat hole, but, you know, Lauren Michaels always said, trust the talent. You know, they know what's mm. best. Um, and this was, you know, it had to be in long retrospect um because i was i was hopping mad and pissed off and sure. why won't jack do this this is the coolest thing that he could do i mean elephant would go on to be one of the great records of the 2000s and you know seven nation army is still played continuously in stadiums so in retrospect live and in flight was just a stunt it meant way more to all the virgin companies than it did to Meg and Jack. Right. Um, but when we realized that he wasn't going to do this, it led to a really great moment for all of us at Virgin Mobile. And it was one of these things, my father-in-law um, always said, when life gives you lemons, you got to make lemonade. Mm -hmm. This was one of those moments, man, because we had to rally and the new campaign became white stripes unstriped okay <laughs> we ah. had to we had to mobilize everybody not just the marketing team 
not just, yeah. you know, our boy Lamont Swintenberg, um, yeah. but it was all about removing point of sale from all of these stores, including some of us going into stores and talking to managers and saying, hey, you know, this isn't happening. We don't want you to be embarrassed. Let us take this out. Um, mm -hmm. Pulling ads off, apologizing to people who entered the contest and figuring out a way to recover. And we did it in a way that was as focused and as disciplined as the way that we built the promotion and we built the business and ultimately took it public. Um, my boss, Dan Schulman, um, who's the CEO of PayPal and an extraordinary leader in his own right, you know, he led all of us. He also, you know, made sure that I learned the proper lessons from this mistake. And I think that's probably what helped me keep my job. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and what, what was the lesson, Howard, that you got from that? What was yeah. your lesson? To put a contract together. Um, uh, we could not hold Jack to a contract. Got it. We thought that, oh, you know, V2, that's Richard. Yeah. Virgin Atlantic yeah. is Richard. Virgin Mobile, you know, we're all kind of, you know, tied together essentially by a handshake. And, you know, when it came to the artist, you know, the artist certainly had loyalty to the record label and, and a great deal of loyalty to Richard Branson. And, you know, but at the end of the day, he didn't feel that that was the right thing and the right look for him. Um, if he had a contract, it would have been a whole lot different. Interesting. That's great. Mm. Great story. Yeah. Larry, this is this is an epic one. This is a thank you, Howard, for sharing. Larry, got yeah. your thoughts about this, brother? Oh man. Um I think what my biggest thing is that what Howard and his team did to recover, I think that's the biggest thought about. It. And obviously what he said about the contract. Um, but you know, it's uh and and it is about brand. And and I think, you know, when Howard, you said you you a lot of people, when bad stuff happens, they try and crawl into a hole and hope it goes away. And you didn't do that. And, um, you, you know, and you had well, to, you had to make sure you protected your brand and, and your word is as good as your brand, you know? So. Yeah. I, and, and, and I think, you know, I felt a responsibility to everybody that worked at Virgin Mobile USA right. and to Richard and, and to our retailers Yep. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, man, you know, you, you get signed up to lead and, you know, you think about some of the, the things that, that you're accountable for certain metrics, but what's ultimately more important are the people. Yep. And I didn't want to be the guy that brought this company down, uh, you know, there were wives and mortgages and husbands and partners, yep. and parents. And, you know, I take all that stuff very seriously to, to this day. 
And, and so, you know, I definitely had my moments. Uh, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I didn't like leaving jazz fest. Who wants to leave jazz fest? Were you there with our friend Joel? In New Orleans. That's right. Crazy. I, so Joel was not part of the picture at that point. This was 2003. And I don't think that Joel came on board to like, 2005 or 2006 he goes yeah. to jazz fest all the time um that's why i even brought that up as he should uh, of course jazz fest is amazing d i know you got something to add to this oh oh, oh, oh yeah most definitely most definitely <laughs> grand nerds i want to point something out here so virgin records was one of the most successful record labels ever created and as our brother howard has said richard branson sir richard branson had to sell uh, uh, Virgin Records in order to fund Virgin um, Atlantic. This was an airline based in Europe. All right. Then he created V2, which was the second iteration of V2. Also one of the most successful labels. So Howard had his pick of artists, but he picked the White Stripes. And I want to tell you, Brand Nerds, why? Because they're from Detroit, okay? <laughs> Jack, and Meg, Jack and Meg White are from Detroit. So I just want you brand nerds to understand that. Second is about a contract, Howard. Oh, I remember when I was talking to uh, an attorney. Uh, it was at Coca-Cola. I wish I remembered the attorney's name. And we were really getting hung up on going back and forth with some talent or some property. I don't remember which one. And I'm like, okay, we're going to miss our deadlines if we keep doing this. Let's just like end it. Let's just let's just do it. Because in, uh, in 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 our world, we had both attorneys and legal, and then we had business affairs. Yeah. Both of these that we worked with, and they they helped us with contracts. And I and so I'm pushing, you know, I'm trying to push it to get it done. And then one of the attorneys says to me, he says, he says basically, listen here, young fella, <laughs> you don't need a contract for when things go right. You need a contract for when things go wrong. And I was like, I never forgot that, Howard. I never forgot that on contracts to your point. But the third thing that you mentioned is about, you, you talked about people. You felt you had a uh, both a fiduciary responsibility and a personal responsibility to the families that you were part of this and uh, quite, quite frankly, could have lost their jobs. And so I want to make a people point here. I'm going back to an old mentor of mine. Her name is Judy Dalton. Yeah. And she talked about, when she got her first manager's title, Howard. Now, Larry knows who this person is. She used to work in media code. She got her first manager's title. This is before she worked in code. So there's something that goes down. I don't remember exactly what it was, Howard, but something doesn't go right. And she goes to her boss and she says to her boss, hey, this thing went down. This is what's going on. And basically kind of like, you know, handed it, handed it to him. And he says to her, he says, Judy, you now have the name manager in your title. That means you need to go manage that thing, okay? That's what he said to her. And so this is what happened to you. You had the the word chief in your title. And as a chief, this is the stuff you just got to work out. You got to work it out, brand nerds. Oh, man, that's good. That's good. Uh, Larry, next question, brother. Let's hit it. Uh, So, uh, Howard, regarding technology and marketing, you have seen the rise of tech and the importance it now plays with us marketers. So can you tell us where you think marketers should maybe lean in or best leverage tech or perhaps areas that they should be leery? Well, 
I, I don't know if if I have a, a terribly prescriptive answer to this question other than you always have to have your tech game on mm. that that tech has had an ongoing role in almost everything that I've ever done. Um, you know, tech has has elevated brands and fans and the world of, of artists and attractions and events that, that I live in today. Um, I think about it across my whole career, MTV, cable TV, mm-hmm. that was pretty innovative stuff for, yep. for several decades. Virgin Mobile and, and really helping to create a lifestyle and to put a phone in everybody's hand and helping to really spread the word about SMS, text messaging, um, and seeing the birth of social media and how that was yet another thing that that helped marketers propagate and explain and nurture brands. Um, You know, today, um, technology, I mean, I see it I see it with the kind of productions that that hit our stages. We had SZA um, a couple of Fridays ago. She rolled in with 20 trucks. Wow. The most immersive video experience that I'd ever wow. seen. You know, wow. she's able to create a narrative with her use of technology. Right. And most artists are using the entire venue. Mm-hmm. whether it's an arena or a stadium. Um, and I'm also really excited about the work that we do with Levy, which is a very large hospitality company. Restaurant. That's, a, that's the, the restaurant um, folks behind the scenes, right, Howard? Well, they, they, started, they started as a real estate company okay. that had restaurants, but Levy is now... Um, a global company that that does food and beverage and concessions right. at stadiums and arenas all over all over right. the world. Um, we brought them into the Fox Theater. Uh, they're also our partner for Pine Knob and Meadowbrook and Michigan Lottery Amphitheater. So we have a very deep relationship with them. They are are showing us and and curating all kinds of interesting technology to make the experience of going to an event that much better. So vending machines that would blow your mind, that allow you to hit a couple of buttons, get a beverage, swipe your card and get out of there, right? You know, you think about an artist, they come on stage, they might take a break for 10, 15 minutes, you got that little window to hit the bathroom, to get a refreshment. Um, you know, technology, technology's everywhere. I've been playing around with chat GPT and, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by the metaverse. Um, it's all good. You know, my lesson learned is be a student of media Mm -hmm. and technology. If you're a brand builder. Love that Howard. Love Do you anything to add or you want to go to the next question? Next question. Howard, my dear Detroit brother, 
what are you most proud of? Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of my marriage. I'm proud of my family. Um, those are the things that ground me. I feel very fortunate that in my career, I found the intersection between what I love and what I think that I'm pretty good at. I think that that's, that's led to a lot of fulfillment in, in my career. Um, and I'm proud of the fact that I can create a one match fire in the dead of the wilderness. Mm. Mm. Keep going on that. What do you mean by that, Howard? You know, I, I know how to live off the grid and, and be in the wilderness and, and have an amazing time. Well, that's cool. That, and does that help you uh, with your work life too, to be able to go, go take yourself off the grid? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that there's a certain balance uh, that that being in the outdoors helps me achieve. I mean, I love nothing more than than taking a hike with my wife or or being in my kayak and paddling somewhere. Uh, that's that's very freeing and and enjoyable. Um, and obviously, nothing beats going to to see live music. Um, but you know the things that I'm proud of are not necessarily tangible career accomplishments. Those look good on bios and in resumes and stuff like that. But um, we we live in a complicated world, and and you know my family ultimately is the thing that that gives me the greatest joy and grounds me the most. Can you give a shout out to you, the names of your your wife and children? My wife, Wendy, my daughter, Ryan, and her husband, Adam, and my son, Eli, and our dog, Blue, who, Ooh. when we lived in New York, naming your dog, Blue, after the University of Michigan and <laughs> our great football team was actually pretty unique. But when you move back to Detroit, you find that there's a bunch of other dogs named Blue. <laughs> That's great. Oh. Oh man, this is good, Howard. This is good. Well, we are done with the five questions. Uh, let's hit them with the next one, Larry. Where are we going, let's, brother? Let's do it. Uh, this is uh, DC Howard. What's popping? What's popping? Howard, this is our chance to shout out, shout down, or simply air something happening in around marketing today that we think is good fodder for discussion. D, I know you're chomping. Hit it. You know, you know what? Since uh, since I know Howard has some personal experience around this, I'm just literally going to just say two words and turn it over to Howard. <laughs> I'm just gonna say two words and turn it over to Howard, and the two words are Chris Rock. Howard, <laughs> Howard, please, please. Oh man, I love Chris Rock. He's brilliant. He is righteous. He speaks his mind. Um, he is funny as hell. Um, you know, he uh, he just had his big Netflix special, and that created a, a little bit of a media buzz because, you know, we're coming up on the Oscars actually this Sunday. Yep. Uh, I don't know when the podcast uh, will, will actually get out there, but, um, you know, 
very timely in Netflix to release his special where he reflects on the whole thing um, with Will Smith. Um, he played the Fox Theater um, a couple months ago. And, you know, comedians will work out their material on the road. Right. Um, so a good amount of, of what was on the Netflix special was what uh, we also got to see at the Fox Theater. Um, I'm fortunate enough that, that when I got to Broadway Video and Saturday Night Live in 1990, that Chris was part of the JV. Um, <laughs> you know, the young up and coming guys that nobody had heard of at that point in time, I kid you not, right. was Chris Farley, David Spade, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, and Chris Rock. Wow. So think about that murderer's row of, you know, comedic greats. Um, and Chris, you know, Chris was a, a guy that was a stand-up, um, wasn't a sketch player or an improv guy. And he was a little bit of a fish out of water and didn't necessarily get a lot of airtime in those days, but had a couple of cool characters. One one character was Nat X. Um, <laughs> and so I got to deal with Chris a little bit because I was doing like licensing and merchandising and home video. So I was like the good news guy, especially for some of the younger cast members who weren't getting paid squat. Right. So they figured if they got a call from me, you know, there might be some extra money. Right. Um, and I got to have a couple of laughs with with Chris after the, the show a couple months ago about those days. Um, and I'm just I'm just so, so happy for him. You know, he is a guy that that will never stop fighting, never stop telling the truth. And I thought that's what was so powerful about his his Netflix special. I mean, it was like this full on assault of wokeness uh, and and being able to to kind of not take ourselves so damn seriously. So um, I love me some Chris Rock. Uh, D, you, you go next. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. We didn't know that Howard had this connection to Chris Rock before we began our podcast. My what's popping is Mr. Mr. Rock and specifically the value of knowing your brand and sticking to your brand. Chris Rock is a grown ass man <laughs> and he got slapped. I would not refer to it as the type of slap that it is known as, but he got slapped in we such a fashion. Yeah. Uh, where there were hundreds of millions of people watching and now billions have seen this brother get slapped. Now, I submit that if, uh, if L.O. Cool J, James Todd, if he were the host of the Oscars and said the same joke, and L.O. Cool J is not a stand-up comic, so he's not going to be doing jokes, but if he were, <laughs> Howard and Larry, and he did the same joke in the same manner at the same time, I think Will Smith stays his ass in his seat. He no does doubt. not move. He does not move. Okay. No <laughs> he, he doesn't move, Howard. Okay. He 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 might be hot, 
power than Larry, but the brother's not moving. So check out the brilliance of Chris Rock knowing his brand and sticking to his brand. I'm quoting from the special. So you brand nerds, just if you haven't seen it, go see it. But I'm just, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. He, I'm quoting here. This is, this is him. He says, Will Smith, this is Chris Rock. Will Smith is significantly, significantly bigger than me. He does movies with his shirt off. You've never seen me do a movie with my shirt off. If I'm in a movie getting if I'm in a movie getting open heart surgery, I got on the sweat. Okay. He said, Will Smith played Muhammad Ali in a movie. You think I auditioned for that part? He said, I played Pookie in New Jack City. He said, even in animation, he's bigger. I'm a zebra. He's a shark. All of this is true, y'all. All of this is true. What he was saying is, no, I can't beat Will Smith. I know it. He knows it. And you all know it. I'm comfortable with my brand. I may be slight of frame. But in terms of my intellect, I'm a giant. In terms of my comedy, I'm a giant. So no, Will Smith, I am not going to try to fight you physically because you may win that fight. But intellectually, from a comedic perspective, I will destroy you. I respect that about him understanding and sticking to and honoring his brand. So that's what's popping with me with Chris Rock. I don't have much to add other than to say I've seen it twice already because uh, I saw it by myself and I, and I saw it again with my wife who I said, you got you to gotta see this. Um, and I, I love what you said, D, about uh, Chris's brand. I also think, as Howard alluded to before, I think this was all conscious to, to wait until this point in time you know, because he, yeah. he, I'm sure, had this in his mind months and months ago oh, in terms absolutely. of the part about Will, but the timing of this. So, you know, because of what happened to him, uh, you know, live and in color, he was going to take advantage of that and uh, milk this yes. in a way that he deserved to. So I have nothing but awesome things and, and love the guy. He, he's one of my favorite comedians, so couldn't, couldn't uh, enjoy it more. Um, D, should we go to the next uh, What's Poppin'? Because I think it would, uh, it would be great for, uh, for oh, Howard. Oh, you want to do a second one? Okay. All right, cool. All right, yeah, we, we go to the next one. I just it. want to say this before we, before we move off of Chris Rock and yep. Netflix. I just want to do a, a, a shout out to uh, 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 Ted Sarandos, who is the, uh, the head of, uh, of Netflix. The brilliance of him and yeah. that team and the timing to which Howard has alluded, but also the, the fact that he is for the artist. Yes. Ted is for the artist. And that's how you get something like that as a gift, uh, uh, as, as a viewer. So shout out to you, uh, Ted. All right. Also, the innovative to- nature of that to do it live. This is the first time Netflix anything, did anything live, yep. too. Yeah. Right? Oh, so yeah. That's, nice. That's also a big deal. Um, nice. All right. I'm going right to Howard. Uh, really, we... we uh, We've been thinking about this one for a while and you are the perfect person to talk to. So, you know, what's popping for me is you've got Beyonce on tour this summer. Um, you got John Mayer on tour right now. You mentioned him before, Howard. Um, and I think he's going to be in Detroit uh, n- pretty soon, right? Later this yep. month in March. Yep. Right. 
Little yep. Caesars Arena. Absolutely. Awesome. And then you obviously have Taylor Swift on tour. And so there's been all this hullabaloo about what's going on with Ticketmaster. Um, and so would love to hear you being on the inside talk about uh, what issues, non-issues, what's real, what's not real about uh, what's happening with Ticketmaster. Can you help us on that front? Yeah, I, I would I would love to to share a couple of thoughts about that. And and I'll, you know, pick up where DC left off, which is it's about the artist. Mm -hmm. It's about the show. Without the artist, yep. none of the none of it exists, right? We don't sell tickets unless somebody's going to show up and, and do something really special on a stage. And the artist's point of view is what's been lost in this whole narrative and demonization of Ticketmaster, which I think is dead wrong and misses the point. Ticketmaster is a platform. Prices for shows are being created by the artist. When you go on sale, it's all about the artist, right? But we live in a time when scalpers, the secondary market, mm -hmm. have more, more powerful technology than they've ever had, where they can use bots and all kinds of unscrupulous techniques to take money for themselves mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the artist, right? So when you put a show on sale and people can't get tickets, there's a couple of things that are going on. In most cases, demand is greater than supply. Right. More people want to go see Taylor Swift than there are actual shows and tickets available. Even in big Ford field, right? Like, you know, where there's yeah. so many seats. Yeah. All, yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because somebody like Garth Brooks will put additional shows on sale in an attempt to satisfy as much demand as possible. And okay. Garth is an incredible fan advocate and a great artist. Um, Taylor Swift loves all the Swifties and her fans. The reality is at this stage in her career, it does not matter how many shows she puts up for sale. She's never going to be able to satisfy all the demand that's out there. Um, and so what really needs to happen is there needs to be a much greater understanding of this dynamic. And there needs to be a lot more management of the secondary market. Um, you know, it's interesting. You two did a little commercial during the Super Bowl to announce the fact that they were going to play in the sphere um, in Las Vegas, which is this new futuristic venue. Mm -hmm. They haven't announced ticket prices, on sale dates, show times, none of that stuff. And yet, if you go online, you could buy tickets. There's a thing called speculative tickets. Wow. So 
there's basically scalpers that are out there that are basically going, sure, we can get you tickets, but they don't have tickets and they might not ever have tickets. And so there needs to be a lot more education of our lawmakers and really of, of just fans in general. Ticketmaster has the best technology, makes this platform work. Do they have outages? Occasionally, but so does the government. So do big businesses. Um, by and large, they are able to accommodate high volumes and complicated on sales that that you know we put out there as a as an industry. They have less competition, more competition, um, and less market share than when the consent decree came down that. There couldn't be any relationship between a Ticketmaster agreement and shows that Live Nation, who owns Ticketmaster, may deliver to certain venues. Um, So they're not the bad guy. Um, It's really about protecting fans and letting artists control the rules of engagement. So I don't know if that carefully fits into a podcast about brands. No, it does. Uh, But it does does about beats. Exactly. That's that's what I was just (laughs) going to say. That's exactly right. The entertainment part is really important to us. And so it all feeds brands. Um, So Howard, if I'm reading you right, what you're really saying is that Ticketmaster has been demonized. They've, They've been sort of pointed as the fall guy, the bad guy, when in reality, it's consumer demand and Quite honestly, it's ticket brokers, t- ticket scalpers. We're also pulling out because they they have this great technology to be able to hoard tickets. And so those are the two main reasons for the issues. Am I understanding that right? Correct. So when you when you buy a ticket on the primary market, that's really helping the artist and putting, you know, putting money into right. their enterprise. When you buy a ticket, on the secondary market, the artist never sees a penny. And that right. just feels wrong to me. Right, right. D, anything to add to this? Quickly, three points. The first is a quote that I heard from a very good friend of mine. His name is Stephen Green. He does an event that travels around the globe. It's called Rock Corps. You can't win a ticket. You can't buy a ticket. The only way to do a ticket is to do community service. We actually worked with them when I was uh, head of marketing at Boost. We call it Boost Mobile Rock Corps. He has a quote, and the quote is, capitalism is the second best system to the one that is yet to be created. I believe that. This is a capitalism point. That's what this is about, which leads me to number two. The marketplace determines value, the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I hear you, Howard, the artists determine the ticket, ticket prices. Yes, they do. But the marketplace determines the value. So if the tickets are not worth $2,000 to go see Taylor Swift, they're not going to be $2,000. Right. If the marketplace says they are worth that, then they're going to be $2,000. My third and final point is about technology. Technology can get a, get in front of us humans. We have to learn how to use it. Example, Howard and I, when we were uh, little pups, we, we used to go to uh, Hudson's, as I mentioned, our the retailer in Detroit, downtown Detroit. 
and Howard will remember this. There were Larry elevator operators. So you get yep. in, they will bring the door back, the little, the little like accordion thing. You get in and they <laughs> and we go up and then you get to the floor and they get it just right. They used to amaze me, like, how'd you stick that? Okay, they're not around anymore. There are no more elevator operators because technology has now advanced to a point to where not only are they not around, we don't want an elevator operator. We just we just want to hit the button and, 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 and be on the way. Here's my point on technology. I know I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon, so please forgive me if I do. If you want to get a ticket and you're being and you're, you're not fast enough, get into some community and get a goddamn bot. Okay, I don't want to hear all of this stuff. Okay, I don't hear all this stuff. It's technology. Just, just deal with the technology and get yourself some tickets. But don't demonize the artist and don't demonize the platform. That's my, that's my takeaway. Figure it out. That's what you're saying. Figure it out. Yes. Oh man, Howard, this has been so much fun, dude. We, we knew this. We were really looking forward to this. And uh, brand nerds. We've all been uh, trying to schedule this for a long time, and we're just so thrilled that this happened, Howard. So we can't thank you enough for joining us. We're going to hit the show close, Howard, where we just share our thoughts at the end here. Um, and uh, you'll hear a couple of, uh, of, of things from me, but Dee's the one who really comes to this in a great way. So I have five quick ones that I'm going to share with, uh, with the brand nerds. So number one, um, find mentors such as Michael Budden and keep them close. That's number one. And number two, like Roots, find the most cogent story between brand and consumer. And by the way, Howard's done that throughout his career. Number three, lot to be said about Lord Michael's credo, trust the talent. So when brand nerds, when you're working with talent, don't think that you're going to tell them everything to do, because if you're doing that, that is a prescription for failure. So you got to trust them. Number four, like Howard did with the whole white stripes and virgin situation, when things go sideways, do whatever you can do, whatever you can do to make it right. And lastly, number five, to be a great marketer like Howard, you need to be curious and a student of media and technology. Those are mine. Ooh, good, LT. Those are good. We have some overlap. You have some overlap, brother. Howard, uh, about three hours ago, I called Larry. I was in my bed. I have been in my bed since Monday. I have something called norovirus. You brand nerds look that up. N-O-R-O virus. It is not pretty. And I called Larry as I was in the bed. I was like, okay, uh, Larry. Uh, he says, how you doing? I said, I'm not good. He says, uh, are you calling because you want to cancel the podcast? And I was like, well, uh, he said, you know, Howard's really hard to get. This dude's really hard to get. I said, oh, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, we're not we're not canceling. We're not, we're not doing it. Howard, Larry, Haley, Jay, Jeff. I am so glad that you have uh, imbued me with energy. Right after this, Howard, literally right after this, I am going to run to my bed and hop in it, and I will be in my bed from now until tomorrow morning. But yeah. because of you, brother. I am filled with like vibrancy. I'm I'm filled with vibrancy. So here's what I uh, here's what I do during this part of our show, Howard. I do my best to understand the human, the spirit of the human, 
who is in front of me. And you've given me quite a bit. And I'm going to attempt to share with you my view on what I believe uh, are your most special, unique gifts. And what I believe, Howard, is part of what you give us in the world and have given us in the world. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do. So just stick with me on this. I'm going to start with a question. So brand nerds, for you all who may be looking at this, I mean, listening to this, but not seeing it uh, on YouTube and in video, Howard has three photos on the wall behind him over his right shoulder. And he alluded to one of them before, and we talked about his father. So uh, Howard, can you just tell the folks, what are these three pictures on the wall behind you? Uh so one photo is of the great Buddy Guy at the Checkerboard Lounge, south side of Chicago, um, legendary venue. Uh, the next photo is an AP photo from 1950, uh, the great Lou Handler, uh, the referee holding up the arm of the triumphant Jake LaMotta. Um, his greatest fight, uh, the 1950 middleweight championship. And the last photo is from backstage at Pine Knob, our amphitheater in Clarkston, Michigan, the number one amphitheater in the world. That is from 1978. And it's Bob Seeger, uh, Rosalie Tremblay, who was the program director for CKLW, and Bruce Springsteen. And just tiny little story on that one. I was a ranger. I was a security guy working at the uh, at Pine Knob at that point in time. Um, but this was a multi-show run from Bob Seeger um, from Detroit, uh, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band, and they were blowing up. Bruce Springsteen had played in town earlier that evening at the Masonic Temple and wanted to meet Bob Seeger. And he cruised, uh, you know, to Clarkston after his show. And this was a photo of the very first time that Bob Seeger and Bruce Springsteen ever met one another. Wow. Wow. And uh, for the brand nerds who may not have heard the opening when you referenced uh, Lou Handler, can you let the brand nerds now uh, know now who is Lou Handler to you? Uh, he was my great uncle. Great uncle. Okay. Now, usually I have just one thing, but in your case, I have two things. The first one is uh, the answer to your question of your first branding experience that really touched you. And you said the Pepsi challenge. You could have picked anything, but you picked the Pepsi challenge. Didn't know I was talking to a couple of Coke guys. <laughs> you, didn't know, you, you didn't know that, but you picked it. You picked it. Now, Brand Nerds, check out uh, Brother Howard's career, MTV, when it started, Challenger Brand. MLS, as compared to NBA or NFL, Challenger Brand. Virgin, he did Virgin Mobile. Virgin was a Challenger Brand. Broadway Video, Challenger Brand. SNL at the time. Challenger brand, 313 presents Challenger brand. And then when he talked about an artist, now he's he's seen all kinds of artists, 313 presents have had all kinds of artists grace their stage. He did not talk about Beyonce. He said SZA rolled up 
with about 20 trucks. <laughs> For those of you all who do not know SZA, even she's a bit of a challenger brand as an artist, as an artist. Where did this come from? Let's go back to Uncle Lou. He's a referee in a ring where people fight and challenge one another. And while I don't know your father, Wallace, something tells me this dude was a fighter. And when you talked about Chris Rock, you said the dude never stops fighting. So one theme in your life, brother, is you are a challenger, you are a fighter. Second, when you described Detroit, you said it was a city of soul. That's what, that's what you said. When you talked about uh, Michael Budman, you said it, he's, he's the founder, co-founder of the brand Roots. You talked about every single hit, every his business hits, every single hit. And then you talked about David Bowie had on one of his uh, sweatshirts. You also talked about uh, Virgin Mobile and what you did there. And you talked about Jack White with V2 and Richard Branson. All of that got its roots in music. You work at 313 Presents now, and you were at MTV at its heyday, all music. And then Lauren Michaels, you gave us a quote. This is the famous uh, person behind SNL, trust the town. Now, I'm gonna go to a place, Larry, that Howard is going to understand. When he and I were younger and we listened to the radio, there was a prominent DJ, prominent mm. DJ. And he took us on a tour, Larry. <laughs> He didn't just play singles, he played full albums. He gave us the background stories of the different artists. He would talk about uh, Parliament Funkadelic. He would give us some Motown. He would give us soul and we would get the backstory. Sometimes, uh, Larry, this dude would put the needle down and let a whole album roll, no <laughs> interruptions. His name, Larry, was the Electrifying Mojo. Ooh, and when he was in his- Funk hype, Association. Yes. Ooh, yes, Howard. <laughs> yes, say it again, Howard, for the friend hers can hear. Midnight Funk Association. Midnight MFA. Funk Association. I love MFA. that. MFA. Okay. And he was, when he, when he was in his apex in Detroit, so he's a Detroit DJ, he was, uh, he was on WJLB. And what he was, what he did is he had his own brand, Larry, Howard knows this, and he was an exceptional storyteller, hmm. an exceptional storyteller. I believe, Howard Handler, you are the electrifying mojo of marketing. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I believe you are that, and it is evident through every step of your career, bro. <laughs> every step of your career. So. It is an absolute honor to have had this time with you, uh, Howard. I am, um, I'm grateful, brother. I'm grateful. Oh, well, thank you, man. Anybody that brings up the great electrifying mojo, land in the mothership, Midnight Funk Association, um, anybody that, that's kind of orbited in, in that universe, absolutely reveres mojo um 
there was actually a staff accountant here at 313 who worked at GPR. And, and my first question is, did you get to meet Mojo? He was like, <laughs> he's a mysterious guy. He was not a guy that was like out and slapping people on the back and, you know, typical, typical radio guy. Um, we are, uh, we are deeply, deeply connected uh, by Detroit, DC. And LT is, thank you so much. The Joel Cades connection is, is brilliant. Lamont Swintenberg, uh, Gatorade. Uh, you know, that is one of the lessons learned is that as all of us brand nerds and marketeers are very connected. Sometimes yes. you don't even know it until you start talking. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's that. That's exactly right, Howard. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, because that's something that uh, we all know and feel when it's there. And so I that's one of the reasons why I knew you in D.C. would have things that I couldn't even possibly imagine um, in common. And, and there it is. Uh, and, it's, and it's shown so greatly. And I'm so thrilled that this happened. So uh, thank you. Anything you want to share, Howard, before we uh, we say adios here? Well, it's Any, it's really learn any anything you learn from this experience you got out of this experience from us. Yeah. Oh man, I, I I just learned once again that the world is is ever so deeply connected. Mm -hmm. um, I'm grateful for anybody that listens uh, to us carrying on and <laughs> all of our crazy stories. Um, but there's there's something to learn every time that you meet somebody. And and this this was a real treasure, and and I hope that uh, we're able to continue this relationship. We know we will, Howard. Thank you so much. And Jade, that's our uh, that's our segue to sign off. Thanks for listening to Brands Beats and Bites, recorded virtually on a, on Zoom in a production of KZSU Stanford ninety point one FM radio and worldwide at KZSU.org. The executive producers are Jeff Shirley, Daryl DC Cobbin, Larry Taman, Haley Cobbin, Jade Tate, and Tom Bureau the pod father that's right and if you are listening to us via podcast it would be great if you can please rate and review us additionally if you do like the show please subscribe and share we hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to next time where we will have more insightful and enlightening talk about marketing if you wish to contact us our email is brandsbeatsbytes at kzsu.stanford.edu again that is brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, beats, B-E-A-T-S, bites, B-Y as in yellow, T-E-S at kzsu.stanford.edu.